We've been uh, talking about the kingdom these days. I'm obsessed with the kingdom. The kingdom, kingdom life is abundant life. It's, it's living in that life that God always wanted human beings to live in. Uh, it really ought to be the case that people, when they think about Christians, uh, when they think about kingdom people, they ought to say, uh, those people just really know how to live. They're full of life. They live in the now. Uh, there's a love and a presence to them. They really know how to live. They're full of life. What we've learned in the last couple weeks, couple months, is that living in the kingdom is synonymous with living in love, as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Living in love. And because it's living in love, it's something that we uh, strive to cultivate on a moment-by-moment basis. Because life is nothing over and above a series of nows strung together. And so the central task of kingdom living is to stay present, to stay in the now, and to be living in the awareness of God's love flowing to us and flowing through us in every now. And we've seen more recently that the the key to entering into that kingdom life on a moment-by-moment basis is dying to ourself. What keeps us from the kingdom is ourselves. When we live out of self-interest, and we live out of our myopic, atomistic, self-centered perspective. It blocks the flow of God's love to us, flowing through us. And that's why Jesus always said over and over again uh, that if you lose your life, you'll find it. It's about dying to self. When you stop asking what's in it for me, you find out what's in it for you. And there is a quality of life, God's life, that is discovered only when you're freed from yourself. When you've abandoned the concern to just uh, get the most out of life Uh, on your own, through your own striving. Uh, Then you enter into kingdom life. It's a life uh, that is lived in love, not out of self-centeredness. And now what I want to do, beginning this week and continuing on for uh, however long, is talk about characteristics of the kingdom, the qualities of the kingdom, and how it applies to a variety of areas to our life. Because we want our lives not just to be kingdom, uh, you know, when we come to church or when we're thinking about it, but we want to permeate our marriages and our child raising, and our jobs, and our recreation with the kingdom of God. So we're looking at qualities of the kingdom. And since this is the Christmas season, I thought it'd be good to start off with really what is the foundation for the whole thing. And that is the incarnation, because this is the time of year where uh, many people are, are thinking more intently than otherwise about the incarnation, the, the, the miracle by which God became a human being. And this is really the first part of a two-part series, really a three-part series, and I'll kind of pick it up on the Christmas Eve service and continuing on next week. But I want to talk about the, the, the community of the incarnation. I want to entitle this for reasons that will become clear shortly. I want to title this message, Longing for Perichoresis. Longing for Perichoresis. Aren't you glad you go to a church where you get to learn Greek in the title of the message? Longing for Perichoresis. Let's pray. Can I get some people around the auditorium to pray? Pray for my health. Pray that I won't go into a coughing fit. I need some uh, other people just to keep this covered in prayer that the anointing of God will will, will be present here. You can listen, but I need a couple more people. I need some prayer intercessors. All right, that's good. Let's pray. Father, um, God, our, our prayer, Lord, is that you would be always in the process of waking us up from the status quo religious life and uh, pulling us into, drawing us into radical kingdom life. And I pray, Lord, that you use this message to do it. Create in us, Lord God, uh, a longing for an intimate relationship with you that, that uh, is completely in the open, completely honest, 
and got out of that, begin to cultivate in us a community of people who have that kind of relationship with one another. Uh, lead us into life. We pray in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Genesis chapter 1, if you've ever read the first book of the Bible, you find this marvelous rhythm, this marvelous pattern where God creates something and then he calls it good. He creates the sky, calls it good. Creates the land, calls it good. Creates the birds, calls them good. Creates the vegetables, calls it good. And everything God creates throughout Genesis 1 is declared to be good. And then we come into Genesis chapter 2. And it comes to a screeching halt because for the first time God declares something to not be good. It says this in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. It's the first time that phrase is ever used in the Bible. It's the only time it's used prior to the great rebellion of Adam and Eve. Something in creation is not good, and it's solitude. Solitude is good in limited doses, but it's not good for the human to live all alone. And so God then proceeds to create another. Now to understand why, and it clearly is the major point of chapter 2, because it breaks that pattern in Genesis chapter 1. To understand why it's not good for human beings to be alone, we need to understand that we're made in the image of God, and we need to understand something about God. God, the Bible says, is love. 1 John 4, 4, God is love. And he's not just a God who loves, but rather he is a God whose essence is love. This is the only view of God throughout history and in the world today that says this. Love isn't just a verb that God does. Love is a noun that God is. His very essence is love. But because his essence is love, his very being is love, he's not a God who can exist in solitude throughout eternity, a lonely God existing in the nothingness of space all by himself. Rather, the Bible describes God as within himself. Because he's love within himself, he he has relationship within himself because you can't have love without relationship. The Bible describes him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's only one God, but the one God, his being encompasses relationship, an eternal, perfect, loving fellowship. All the other monotheistic religions, uh, Judaism and Islam and all the spinoffs, posit a solitude God prior to creation, but the Bible posits a God, understands God to involve relationship, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, even prior to creation. It means that God's very being, his very essence throughout eternity, consists of an eternal, mutual, self-giving, unconditional, open, joyful, playful, satisfying, delightful love. God is perfect relationship. God is love. That tri, I like to call it the triune dance, the dance of the three persons of the Trinity that's been going on throughout eternity and will be going on throughout eternity. Uh, that reality, that is ultimate reality, and it is the standard of all beauty. It is the beauty of all beauty. It is the love of all love. It is the standard of goodness. It is the standard of truth. It's the ultimately real thing. And in traditional terms, in traditional theology, they've tried to articulate uh, the relationship of the three persons of the Trinity with this strange word, perichoresis. Perichoresis, which, which really means mutual indwelling. Mutual indwelling. It's our way of trying to futilely articulate the beauty of the triune God. The Father is in the Son and the Spirit. The Son is in the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit is in the Father and the Son. 
They, they mutually indwell. It's our way of trying to say that they have a relationship that, in which the, the total being of one is for the others. There's nothing hidden and there's nothing concealed. There's nothing withheld. It's an it's a, a unconditionally open, free, self-giving, mutually indwelling relationship. It is the perfection of love. It is the perfection of relationship. Now we are made in the image of that God. We are made in the image of that God, which means we are made for that kind of fellowship. And this is why it's not good that a human being would exist alone. There's something unnatural, painful, even destructive by living in solitude. Solitude in limited doses is very good for the soul, but solitude as a way of living uh, is, is destructive because we're made in the image of the triune God. We need to have others interpenetrate our being to be there with us. We long for perichoresis. All of us, we long for perichoresis. We long for a kind of relationship in which nothing is hidden and nothing is withheld. We long to know others and to be known by others. We long to understand others and to have others understand us. We long to accept others unconditionally and be accepted by others unconditionally. We long to love and to be loved. We are made, we're wired to live in the open, to live in free, playful, uh, give-and-take relationships. We're, 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 we're wired to have our inside on the outside and our outside on the inside. We're wired. We long to have someone standing on the inside of us, next to our heart, understanding us, not judging us, but ascribing us, uh, us worth. We long for perichoresis, to have a perichoresis kind of relationship. And this is why most people, not all, but most people, uh, long for marriage. They feel somewhat incomplete without marriage because this is a, the foundational perichoretic relationship uh, where perichoresis is to be lived out. It's the only relationship in which it's, it's to be expressed physically. But where you have a person living on the inside of you, where your, your worlds, your stories are wound up together with one another. But our longing for perichoresis goes way beyond that. We long to have others involved in our life. This is, why, this is why some of the most beautiful words in any language are the words, um, I understand. You know, I, I, I know, I know exactly what you're going through. I hear you. Or when someone says, me too. Uh, it, it, there's something primal inside of us that's ministered to. When we believe that another person gets it. Okay, I'm not alone. Uh, we, we, we worry that we're sort of trapped inside of our cranium. You know, and, and, and uh, we, we, we experience life all by ourselves. But when another person says, I know exactly what you mean. I understand. I, I got it. Uh, it, it ministers to something so profound inside of us. This is why we love to hear people share stories that are similar to our stories. And they say that misery loves company, and maybe there's something sadistic about that, but there's another part where we just, when someone tells a story that's like our story, especially if the story that we feel alone in is a painful one, it just ministers to something primal in us. Someone else knows what it's like to go through this. They tell a story, and there's a, yes! Oh, I'm not alone. You know what it's like. Most people don't, but you know what it's like to lose a child. You know what it's like to go through a divorce. 
you, you know what it's like to just be told that you have cancer. You know what it's like to have just screwed up royally and, and ruined your life because of it. You, you understand, and, and you're there. And, and, and so there's somebody on the inside of the heart. Somebody's there to share your experience with you. And it ministers to something primal in us. When uh, we were raising our son, we couldn't figure this kid out. Uh, we, we, we went through all sorts of struggles. He had... I guess what they call non-compliant behavior. Um, and uh, it, we were just pulling our hair out. Couldn't figure out what we're doing wrong, you know. Um, and and it, it put tension in the family and tension in the marriage. And, and we were at our wits end. And so we went to a, a counselor. Uh, he actually goes to church here now, Ed Frickson. Uh, did some counseling for us. And uh, he got us into this support group for parents with, um, I guess they called it, uh, pervasive uh, behavioral disorder or something like that. And anyways, we were in this group, and uh, one person just began to share. You know, he says, who wants to be first? And one lady just went, blah! You know, just kind of, I'll go first. You can tell she's been storing this up for about a year. And, and I just began to cry because it was like so similar to our stories. It's like, you, you, you too? Uh, and then everyone else starts jumping in. Yeah, well, here's what my kid did. And then, you know, well, my kid did this. And, 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 and they start talking about, you know, the, the pain that they're going through and the confusion and the tension it brings in the, the, with the other siblings and the tension in the marriage and the windows that are broken and then all the things that they do that they feel guilty for. You know, you lock your kid in the room and, and all these other kind of things. But it, it was just like so, it, it was... It was so ministering just to, to be part of. There's no solutions. That's okay. There's other people on the inside of this thing, you know? You don't feel quite so alone in the world. And uh, uh, it's because we long for perichoresis. There's something being touched there. It's why I think the refuge ministry is such a powerful ministry, where people come with a certain kind of brokenness, and they get into small groups where there's people who have those same kinds of brokenness, and, and it's just a sharing. They're there, they understand, and they do not judge, because they've been there. People who haven't shared the experience, they can sit off there in their lofty pedestal of holiness and look at you, and they say, you know, what's wrong with these parents? My kids never act like that. Well, all those kids need is a good whipping. It's like, well, you have no idea. You know, if all we had was our second born, we'd be thinking the same thing, you know. Uh, but we, we have this. <laughs> the kids are different, you know. And, and so here's some people who, because they sympathize, they empathize, they're in the box with you as you're going through the stuff that you're going through. This is why we, we, uh, we, 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 we so emphasize small groups in this community. Because we need to be sharing life together. We need other people in on our stories. That's how life was meant to be lived. To have other people who are sharing your stories. I, I don't know what I do without my small group. You know, it's, it's um, it, it, nothing is hidden and nothing is withheld. And it takes a while to get there for sure. But, but to, you know, you know we, we, we kind of parade all of our stuff now. It's like, uh, you know, who wants, to, who, who wants the floor tonight? and talking about marriage problems or kids' struggles or whatever. And you just kind of share. And, and other people, you know, they say, oh, yeah, we, we, we've been through something like that. In fact, sometimes now when Shelly and I are having a fight or something, she'll say, you know, okay, I, I'm going to bring this to our small group. We'll see what they say. <laughs> yeah, fine, I, I want you to bring it to the small group. Okay, well, we'll see. I bet they'll vote on my side. You know, we just kind of lay it out there. And... But see, it's so good just to have, it's like, okay, this is normal marriage stuff. This is life. 
And, and there's others on the inside of this. We long for perichoresis. We need perichoresis. And I know some of you have tried small groups and, and it, the chemistry wasn't right or it didn't work out or, you know, and, and, and whenever you're dealing with, small groups with animals are really easy, but when you get people, it gets real messy. You know, because we're human and we all got, you know, weird stuff. But I, I encourage you to stick with it. It's worth it. We long for perichoresis. I'm convinced that this is the power of art and the power of literature. Uh, the power of, of music. Uh, when, when, when an artist paints a portrait or captures a photograph or expresses something way deep on the inside through poetry, perhaps, or, or through a story, if there's something in you that resonates with that, there's, there's this, yes, this person gets it. Maybe most people on the planet don't, but you, you just bond with the work. It's like, ah, oh, the emotion expressed in this painting, it, it, it like names what I'm feeling. Do you ever have that? It's like, they just give a name to this. And, and the power of that is that a soul has touched your soul. You maybe don't even know the person who did it, who did the painting or the literature, but, but there's, a, there's a resonance there. It's like, yes, thank you. I, I went through my first years of college just addicted to Soren Kierkegaard because I felt like he's the only person on the planet who, who, who got me. And he lived a hundred and some years before I ever came around. But reading his stuff is like, this person, he, 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 just, he just expresses uh, my feeling of alienation, my existential angst. And he was my comrade. There's a time where I almost wondered if I wasn't the reincarnation of Soren Kierkegaard because there's like a soulmate there. It's like, oh, dude, you got it. You see? Uh, the, the, the power of art, literature, poetry, is that, that it touches us. It has a power to link souls that a few other things have. You ever listen to a song? It's like, ah, oh, that song just, just gets it. We long for perichoresis. But our longing for perichoresis, we long for it because we we're created for it. And the primal ache inside of us goes beyond what another person, another human being can... can uh, uh, satisfy. It goes even beyond works of art. Our primal longing for perichoresis, as much as we need people and we need works of art and other things to minister to us, it is ultimately there as a homing device that our Creator put inside of us to drive us to a perichoresis kind of relationship with Him. And this brings us to the center of creation, and it brings us to the Christmas story. It says this in, in Matthew chapter 1. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. It's one of the most amazing things. In a culture, in, a, in first century Jewish culture, nothing could be more anathema than calling a human being divine. And yet in that first century Jewish culture, Jesus made such an impression on his disciples that they came to the conclusion that in this man, God himself was present in human history. In this man, God made our story his story. God himself was present right here. Most people back then and most people now have this 
picture of God that's sort of up there in the, in the heavens, you know, the, the gray-bearded old guy who's a little bit ticked off and, and he's got a thunderbolt in his hand, you know, kind of a cross between Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Sean Connery or something. And, 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 you know, it's just this kind of deity far, far away. Or, or a lot of people have today this kind of a, a picture of God of, of the force, you know, the force be with you, the higher power, kind of a vague, abstract thing. But these early Christians came to the conclusion in the light of their experience of Jesus Christ that in this man, God was right here. God himself had interpenetrated humanity. God had developed, a, if you will, a perichoretic relationship with humanity. God is right here in this man. God is right here in this baby. God is right here in this stable. God is right here uh, in Jesus Christ ministering to the lepers and ministering to the, to the tax collectors and prostitutes. God is right here feeding the 5,000. Well, in, in this one man, God is here dying on a cross. And in this man, God is right here rising from the dead. God is with us. But for the early Christians, this wasn't just something, and this is so important because this really speaks to an issue in our culture. This wasn't something that happened long, long ago and far, far away and that we ought to think about once a year. Rather, this, this incarnation, we call it, God becoming a human being, this, this changed everything for the early Christians. It permanently altered God's relationship with us right here and right now. And so it says this in Ephesians chapter 4, which really expresses this permanent change in a beautiful way. It says, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect was tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Jesus Christ, God present on earth, he, was, he, he experienced life like we experience it. He was made like us in every respect. His story is our story. He made our story part of his story which means he understands our story collectively and individually. He understands it from the inside. He's been there. He knows us on the inside right now. The Bible says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. The word sympathize comes from the combination of two words, sim, which means together with, like symphony, and then pathos, sympathy. Pathos means passion, or it could mean Rage, or it could mean uh, any emotion, it could mean hurt, it could mean pain. But what he's saying is that God has put himself right alongside our pathos. When we have pathos, he has pathos right alongside of us. Our wounds are his wounds. Our emotions are his emotions. He's sympathetic to us in every respect. Now some might say, well, okay, he's, he was, he was you know, tempted, he was tested just like we are. He was made just like we are, but he never sinned. And so because he never sinned, he maybe empathizes with our good side when we pass the test, but not when we don't pass tests, not when we fall, not when we sin. He never sinned, so what does he know from the inside what it's like to feel guilty? What does he know what it's like to have lost your temper this morning and said things that right now you're regretting? 
He doesn't know, you might be thinking, he doesn't know what it's like to have fallen into an adultery and blown your wonderful family sky high. He doesn't know the, the absolute pain of emptiness that, that goes along with that and that feeling of, of, of remorse. He doesn't know what it's like to have the hopelessness of, of being told that now you have life imprisonment. He doesn't know our shame, doesn't know on the inside our guilt, doesn't know on the inside our sin and regret. And it's true that he never sinned. That's true. But I submit to you that that doesn't stop him from knowing even our darkest aspects from the inside. Because this is what the cross is all about. And the cross is just the culmination of what Christmas is all about. So the Bible tells us this in Ephesians, or in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Take, take the sum total of all your sin and my sin add that with the sum total of everybody on the planet, add that with the sum total of all the sin throughout history. You got a lot of sin here. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. When, when, when Jesus dove into our humanity and made our story his story, we were a diseased humanity and we had a diseased story. So he took upon himself that disease in order to purge our story, in order to purge our humanity from that disease. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. God made him to be sin. Think about that. Sin is the antithesis of who God is. He's, he's perfect holiness, but God made him to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God dove into our humanity, and our humanity was fallen, so God dove into our, our, our diseased, our, our fallen humanity. I don't know how, I don't know the mechanics of it, I don't know the metaphysics of it, but somehow, some way, Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, he, he, he experienced my sin from the inside. He knows what it's like to experience guilt. He knows what it's like to experience shame. He knows what it's like, uh, even though he never sinned, he experiences your pornography uh, problem from the inside. He experiences your regret from the inside. He experiences your remorse from the inside. He experiences your rebellion from the inside. He experiences every sin from the inside. He dove into our humanity, into its depths, into its hell. All the sin, guilt, and shame of the world was laid upon him. He entered our story at its darkest point. So he knows. He knows you better than you know yourself, including the darkest, most dismal, most shameful aspects of who you are. Right now, right now, what Ephesians 4 is telling us, and this is the, the, this is the, the, the repercussions of the incarnation. God understands you, understands he is, he is alongside of every thought you think, alongside of every emotion you feel. He, he knows your, your secret pain. He knows your secret sin. He knows your wounded memories. He knows you on the inside of your hopes, on the inside of your fears, on the inside of your aspirations, on the inside of your dis disappointments, on the inside of your regrets, on the inside of your despair. He knows and experiences even your rebellion, even your sin, even your darkness, even your confusion right now. He knows from the inside your sin, guilt, and shame. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows me better than I know myself. Because I'm sure I don't have a, a, real, a real accurate awareness of just how dark my sin is, but he knows it. And that could be very bad news. Except that the passage tells us that the one who knows all of that is our high priest. He knows all of that, and he's not going away. 
He knows all of that, and he's not using it against us. It's not like a, a legal court of law where anything you say can and will be used against you. No, he knows all of this, but he doesn't know what to use it against us. The one who knows me best is on my side. Hallelujah. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me the most. The one who knows me best is the one who's fighting on my behalf. The one who knows me best declares himself to be my best friend. If ever there's a person where you can say, yes, they get it, and they're there in the box with you, it's the person of Jesus Christ. And I submit that if you get that, if you get that, if you lock that in and can walk in that, not just as a bunch of facts, but if you let that ha be real on the inside of you, it changes absolutely everything. It changes everything. Let me just flesh out three things it changes. Number one, it means there's no need to hide. Oh, how we hide. We hide because we're afraid. We, we're hi we hide from God. We hide from each other. We even hide from ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Because there's, there's a, uh, a fallen conditioning in us that says if, if people knew or if God knew, and even if we know ourselves fully in our darkest, uh, most sinful, ugly aspects, uh, people are going to go away. And there's a shame that is there. We, we hide behind mass because we're afraid. And so we instinctively, without even knowing it, we put on our, our best selves when we go out to play. We put on our happy selves. We put on our religious selves. We put on our Christian selves. We put on our polished selves. We put on our social selves. But the secret, dark, imperfect, wounded, sinful selves, we kind of hide. And what God is saying here tonight, to this morning, if, you, if you'll receive it, is he's saying, you don't need to do that any longer. You don't need to do that. I know, I know the very worst about you, and I'm hanging around. I know the very worst about you, and I'm still here. Hear the Lord. I didn't leave the manger because it was overcrowded with smelly animals full of manure and cold, and I didn't come down off the cross because we had excruciating pain and was full of hell. So I'm not going to leave you, even though your manger is quite manure-filled and even though your cross is very hellish. I'm not leaving. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm here to stay. I know the worst about you, but you've got to know that that doesn't push me away. Uh, that I, I, I'm here. I'm sympathetic. I'm, 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 I'm on the inside. My love, you've got to know, permeates, permeates every molecule of your being. My perfect love for you permeates every neuron that you're thinking. My love for you permeates every thought that you're having, every emotion that you're feeling, every behavior that you do. I am there. Of course, a lot of, of what's there is, is, is stuff we got to get healed from, stuff you got to get freed from. But the way you're going to get freed is by me, by me working on the inside. You've got to know that I know you best, and I'm not going away. And what that means for us is that we can open up to God. Live a relationship with God that is perichoretic. We long for perichoresis. We long to be known and accepted as we are known. And what the Lord is saying is, I know you. I know you, Greg Boyd. I know you, Greg Boyd. And, and, and you know what I know about you, but you know what? I'm here. I'm not going. I, I love you. I love you. And, and so we, we just quit pretending and, and get very honest with me. I want our relationship together to mirror the honesty and the openness uh, and, and the, the freedom of the, the relationship that I am throughout eternity. 
Will you, will you just come clean with me? Will you get authentic? Being authentic with God is, is the most fundamental thing. It's the most fundamental thing. Far, far, far more important than your religiosity is your authenticity. I'm amazed by some of the painful, even barbaric prayers that the saints of God pray in the Bible, but God puts them in the Bible. Job says nasty things about God. Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all, they say some, some real raw things about God, but he puts them in the Bible. Why? Because he loves authenticity. He wants you to be real with him. Put it out in the open. He wants a relationship with him where nothing is hidden and nothing is withheld. And you're going to have a hard time getting that relationship with other people if you don't first have it with God and first have it with yourself. Where nothing is hidden and nothing is withheld. Take even the rebellious stuff. The stuff, you know, where, where you're saying, I don't want to give this up. It's mine and my precious, you know. And, 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 and God is saying, come on, this is hurting you. This is damaging you. Surrender. You don't want to give that up. Well, don't pretend like it's not there. Put it out there. Just say, here's what I don't want to give up. I'm clinging to this even as... Put your clinginess out before God because what you're doing, it's like putting manure out in the hot sun. You know, it's, it, it's, put your manure out in the sun of his, of his love and let that radiant sun just dry it up. And then the wind of the Holy Spirit can come and just blow it all away into flakes. The way we're transformed is by, is by allowing him to love... I, the analogy really stunk, I admit. But, <laughs> but, but it, it, it works. It works. Just cry, and, and, and see, we're transformed. When we allow ourselves to be fully loved as we are, it transforms us from who we are into what God knows we can become. Let him love you as you are. Not a pretense self, not a religious self, not the Christian self, just the self. And, and get honest. Admit how bad it is and just put it out there. And then he slowly, by his love being there in the midst of it, he transforms us out of it. If you can't let God uh, fully love you in the, in the midst of, of the quicksand of your sin-filled existence, you'll never in a healthy way get out of the quicksand. It's by being loved in the midst of your manure that, it, that you're empowered to get out of your manure. So there's no need to hide. The second thing is your longing for perichoresis can be fulfilled in Jesus. You long to be known and loved just as you are, and Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, fulfillment of that longing. You long for perichoresis. And what, 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 what the incarnation means and what, what, what Hebrews 4 tells us is that you're not alone. Your, your longing for perichoresis can be, can be met. You need people and, other, and, and, and works of art and literature and all that to have your soul touched. A healthy human being needs other people interpenetrating their life, but you need Jesus interpenetrating your life. You're not alone. To the contrary, he's with you. He's in you right next to your heart. There are some who I know during the holiday season, uh, the, the feeling of aloneness. And see, aloneness has nothing to do with whether you're physically alone. It has everything to do with whether or not someone's story is part of your story and whether or not your story is part of someone else's story. You can be, a crowd, you can be in a crowd like this, and, and in fact, it makes you feel more alone, doesn't it? And for some people during the holiday season, the, the feeling of loneliness increases for a variety of reasons. It can be that maybe you, you had a family to go to last year and you don't this year. And man, that's painful. Or maybe you haven't had a family to go to for the last 10 years, but you still remember the family that you used to go to. Uh, or it can be that you have a family to go to, but you feel very alone in that family. 
and the, the superficiality of it all, it, it pains you and makes you feel more alone. Uh, there, there are some that, that actually feel that in this time of year when all the families are getting together and you see all this stuff around you, a lot of it is illusion, by the way, but you see it all around you and it just makes you feel like, like you're just alone in this world, like you're on the outside of the glass looking in at that nice family having their Christmas celebration. <laughs> okay, so a few of you that zinged. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like you're on the outside looking in. What you got to know is this. Uh, you're not alone. You've never been alone. You never will be alone. And you never need to feel alone if you'll let him on the inside. Now, he's already there, but it's a matter of acknowledging that. You have one who loves you more than your wildest dreams could ever imagine. He knows the worst about you, and he's, he's taken up shop inside of your heart. We just acknowledge that. If you're experiencing that loneliness, I encourage you to, to like represent him being with you, however that looks. Maybe it's him sitting alongside you, or, or maybe it's like uh, the, 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 the cloud of his Shekinah glory uh, enveloping you and, and permeating the pores of, of, of your life. But you're not alone. It, it may be that your husband doesn't understand you. He doesn't have a clue. After 25 years of marriage, he still doesn't get it. And it may be that your wife doesn't understand you. After 25 years of marriage, she still just, the, the centers don't touch. It happens in this world. It, you know, it's very hard to, to get souls to penetrate. He, your spouse may not understand you, but you've got to know that Jesus Christ understands you. He understands you perfectly. He made you. He's on the inside even of the darkest areas of your life. And maybe that, that, that uh, friends, no, no friend really even knows you. Uh, maybe that all your relationships are rather superficial, rather just acquaintance, but you've got to know that Jesus Christ knows you. Oh, he knows you better than you know yourself. And, 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 and let him in on the inside. And maybe that you've been rejected and been abandoned, and that's why there's all this fear uh, and all this facade in your life. But you've got to know that he will never leave you or forsake you. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he was born as a baby. Uh, let him on the inside. And the final thing I want to just end with is, is this. He wants you to know him as he knows you. He wants you to dive into him the way he's dove, in, dove into you. He wants this perichoretic. I hope you understand what I'm saying now. That perichoresis, mutually indwelling. He wants that relationship with you to work both ways. That's why he says in John 15, abide in me and I in you. What's going on there is what God wants is for his relationship with you to mirror the relationship that he has within himself. What God is doing is inviting us in on the triune dance. This is salvation. This is the kingdom. He, he's, it's as it were the three, part, the three persons of the Trinity open themselves up and they're saying, hey, hey John, want to join us? Join us in this dance of perfect love, of openness, of freedom, of joy, of delight. Uh, join us in this dance. But for that to happen, there's got to be this, this mutual indwelling. And so what he wants is for, he's made you the focus of his life. He wants you to make him the focus of your life. And life is nothing more than a series of nows that are strung together. On a now-by-now now basis, not now and then, but on a moment-by-moment moment basis to make him the focus of your life, the reason why you live. He wants you to know him the way he knows you. He's not interested in you accumulating a lot of facts. That's not the kind of knowledge he's looking for. He doesn't want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. There's a world of difference between me knowing all the statistics about my wife 
and me knowing my wife. You got what I'm saying? God wants you to know him in a biblical sense of intimate knowledge. And that happens as we, on a moment-by-moment basis, pursue him. That's why he wants to be pursued. Seek me and you shall find. So the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is how we come to know him, by seeking him first. We don't just seek on Sunday morning and then forget about it till the next Sunday. No, to, to, make, to make the point of every day and make the point of every moment to know him better, to know him, to seek first the kingdom of God. It is to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us on a moment-by-moment basis. As you live in love, as you cultivate uh, uh, an awareness of his love flowing to you and through you on a moment-by-moment basis. And as you obey, you, you, you come to know him. You, you begin to recognize his aroma. You begin to sense his presence. You, you come to know his heart and his character for all people. You become more and more intimate with him. Uh, cultivate on a moment-by-moment basis an attitude of absolute openness to him. What is real? Uh, sprinkling throughout your day confessions about what is real in you. Uh, uh, share with him your thoughts and, and, and your, your feelings. A major breakthrough, my wife and I came uh, eight, nine years ago when, when uh, um, we just got in the habit of, she would sometimes say, what are you thinking? Because it turns out she didn't know this, but I had a whole thought world that she didn't know about. And so sometimes she just likes to know, what are you thinking? And most of the time what I'm thinking is rather bizarre. I, I, I'm not at all normal, and that's why I instinctively have hidden my normal weird thought processes from, from people, because I know that they're weird. But now she wants in on that. And so throughout the day, I'll just say, well, right now I'm kind of just thinking about how odd it is that, that, that uh, you know, the, the way people are together, and you know, I'll notice the crowd, they would never act that way individually. And what is it about the, the wholeness of social groups that, that creates kind of a new reality that conditions all the individual subjects? And half of them doesn't have a clue as to what I'm talking about, but at least I'm letting her in on it, you see? I'm letting her in on it. Give me insight. Well, throughout the day, just talk to God. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. Invite, develop this intimate relationship with your best friend throughout the day and cultivate that, and then you get to know him as he knows you. And that is what we're created for. And that will be the eternal reality that will be in throughout eternity. Amen. Close your eyes to pray, and, and I, I, I just want to ask this question. Are you hiding? Are you hiding from yourself, from others, from God? You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. We you just right now put that manure out into the sun of his hot love? Admit it. He knows it already. Don't pretend. Come out of hiding. Are you longing for perichoresis? Invite him in on your life. He's there, but acknowledge that and know that you're not alone. You've never been alone. You'll never be alone. And will you pursue him? Maybe know a lot about God, but do you know him? Do you know him? And you know how it's landing with you? In your heart right now, would you just, Holy Spirit, be moving here? Do the work that needs to be done. Confess. Come out of hiding. Resolve in your heart right now that your relationship with Him is going to be open and honest, interpenetrating. You're going to pursue intimacy. You're going to tell Him what you're experiencing throughout the day. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, draw us close to you. Holy Spirit, open us up. Holy Spirit, heal our wounds. 
Holy Spirit, get us out of our facades. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see that we're not alone. Holy Spirit, help us to see and understand and experience that Jesus Christ is closer to us than our closest friend, closer to us than our own thoughts. <laughs> He's on the inside. Holy Spirit, help us to see that the, the perfect love of the triune God is penetrating us even right now as we're sitting here. And Holy Spirit, as we leave here, help us to be, remain mindful of this, not to be sucked into the mindless hustle and bustle of the season and of the world, but to stay centered in Jesus Christ, aware and honest and open and free. Holy Spirit, teach us how to dance, the dance of the Trinity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two words. If you're here this morning and you have never, uh, you've never entered into that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and you're interested in doing that, becoming a believer, becoming a kingdom person, getting saved, up here to my right, your left, there'll be a person who would love to explain to you what that is about. And so I encourage you just to come forward. Take a minute out and find out what that's about. Also, if the prayer team would come forward right now, if you're here and have any need whatsoever, I encourage you to come forward and spend some time in prayer. God bless you folks. Go out, love radically. Meet people in the gathering area. Take the love of Jesus Christ out in the world that desperately needs it. Amen.